today's reading of the Holy Scriptures. Please turn with me to the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1. <clears throat> we will be reading from verses 1 to 11, and I request you to please rise for the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of this word. You may be seated. Morning. Thank you, John. This morning I want to start a new series of teachings through the epistle to the Philippians. If you recall a while back I went through the book of uh, Ephesians um, and uh, I, you know, we had a very good study through that. You know, I didn't go from Ephesians to Philippians simply because it's the next book but you know, in considering I felt that, that this is where the Lord wanted me to go with this teaching. Um, now it's been nice, the last three months I took a break, so it's been a while since I've been up here, um, and you know, I think it's always good once in a while to, to take a break so that people you know, who are bored of listening to you month after month can, can get a break and you can also get, get some rest, but I did use that opportunity to do some ministry in other places, I think that was very fruitful as well, and just to sort of spend time uh, studying uh, in the Word without the pressure of having to come and speak. But um, this uh, book of the Philippians is, um, is, uh, is just a, a, a wonderful book. It's a, you know, the theme of this book is, is joy uh, or, or the joyfulness of, of the Christian life. And uh, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you know, as we study these books, it's important that we understand a little bit of the history and the background behind the churches to whom Paul was writing. And Paul... Uh, you know, in all of his epistles, he's writing uh, a letter to these churches. And in doing so, he, he uh, you know, he covers a lot of different things. He addresses issues that are faced in the church. He encourages the ones that need encouragement. He tries to exhort them and build them up. Uh, uh, but it's all set in the context of what was going on in that church. And it's, it's amazing and marvelous how, uh, you know, in so constructing the scriptures... As we go through these epistles, we find that even today, you know, so many thousands of years later, that a lot of the things that Paul addressed, you know, in these letters, in addressing the issues that was faced by the church, the local churches in that day and age, how relevant they are to our lives today and to the church today, which tells us that, you know, while we, you know, while a lot of things have changed about our culture and about the way we live and, and so many things around us, yet, 
you know, as people being part of a church, as human beings, we face some of the same issues. And it is refreshing to know that the word of God remains relevant. Now, this, uh, this letter was uh, written to the church in the city of Philippi. Philippi was uh, the, the major city in the province, the, the, the Roman province of Macedonia. Uh, and it was named after uh, King Philip, who was the father of uh, his more well-known son, Alexander the Great, um, who conquered kingdoms all the way through to Asia. And uh, if we go back to, um, uh, to Acts chapter 16, I'm not going to go there, but in Acts chapter 16, we see how this church in Philippi was founded. So Paul, uh, along with Silas and Timothy, were proceeding on their second missionary journey. Paul did three missionary journeys, and on the second, you know, he was sent out by the church in Antioch. And on that second journey, they were going through Asia, and they came to a point where the um, it says that the spirit, uh, you know, didn't allow them to make progress in Asia. They were sort of stuck uh, in their in their journeys in their ministry. We don't know exactly how they were stuck, but nevertheless. Uh, they didn't have that leading of the spirit to proceed through the regions of Asia, spreading the gospel and planting churches. And Paul's practice was he would go to a city, he would go to the synagogue, he would preach the gospel to the Jews there because it was easier to contextualize it with them. And then the church would be formed and then he would spend some time and then move on to another place and start another uh, assembly there. But as they, was, they were waiting there on the Lord to see what they would want to do, what he would want them to do, uh, all of a sudden he gets this vision and uh, in the night he has a vision and in that vision there is a man from Macedonia. Now Macedonia was the, uh, the outskirts of what was then Europe. So they were in Asia and now through that, that vision of the man from Macedonia, Paul receives a call to go into Europe, you know, indicating that the Holy Spirit had opened the way for the gospel to enter into Europe. So, so Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy, they answer that call and they, they move ahead and they come to this town of Philippi. And um, after they, they reach this town of Philippi, they, um, the, you know, in, in, uh, in Acts 16, verse 13 to 15, maybe we can just read that, that portion there because uh, it tells us exactly how uh, the church there was, was started, how it began and who was involved. And we see here, in Acts 16, verse uh, 13, that on the Sabbath day we went out to the city, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Now, uh, the, the interesting thing about this town of Philippi is that there were really not many Jews. There wasn't a synagogue. So we don't see Paul going to a synagogue, probably because there was no synagogue there. And instead, there were people who were gathering by the riverside. And so he goes there and he says, uh, we sat down and spoke to the women who we met who met there so there were some women who used to gather at the river and one of them was a certain woman named Lydia heard us she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God the lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul and when she and her household were baptized she begged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the lord come to my house and stay so she persuaded us so we see here the 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 formation the formation of the church in Philippi, and it was through this woman Lydia. She was the first um, first believer uh, in Europe. The first believer in Europe was this woman Lydia. Seemed like a well-to-do woman, a merchant, uh, and she responded to the gospel. And then the church was formed and started meeting in her home. Uh, and and so the Gentiles this was among the first of the Gentile churches, or the first actual Gentile church that was formed there. And then Paul visited them again. And then, you know, right after that, of course, uh, the, the story moves on and Paul casts out a demon from this slave girl and the people rise up in uproar because, you know, he had taken away their means of earning a living and they throw him into jail, him and Silas into jail. And then, of course, God does this miracle at night and the Philippian jailer and his family get saved and added to the church. And so the church starts to grow there. And then again, on his third missionary journey, Paul goes back and visits this church to check on them and to exhort them and to uh, minister to them. And so he had a very special bond with this church. So this was a church, the very first one that was founded in Europe. 
and and uh, and Paul was the one who was instrumental in in starting this church now uh, the background of this particular epistle is that this is one of the four uh, of Paul's prison epistles along with Ephesians Colossians and Philemon so if we look in verse 7 of chapter 1 which was read this morning it says uh, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains he talks about being in chains uh, if you go to verse 13 he talks about the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains uh, are in Christ and so he goes on and talks several times about the fact that he's in chains so Paul is writing this letter sitting in a Roman prison if you go back to the book of Acts if you study the book of Acts you know that you know Paul takes this long journey he stands before Felix and then Festus and then he takes this long, perilous journey through the sea. And he appeals to Caesar. He arrives at Rome. And then we find there, if we go to Acts chapter 28, that uh, Paul, uh, that the, uh, the Roman uh, centurion uh, sort of has favor on him. Perhaps because of the way Paul, uh, all the things Paul had done on that perilous journey. And in, uh, in Acts uh, chapter 28, uh, we read about Paul's imprisonment. Uh, verse 16, Acts 28 and verse 16, it says that uh, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Uh, so Paul was permitted to, to dwell um, uh, by himself. So he was basically sort of under a kind of house arrest. Verse 30, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So we see that Paul, even though he was in, um, under imprisonment, he had this uh, freedom. And as a result, Rome was evangelized and people even from Caesar's household were added into the, into the church due to Paul's ministry there. But Paul is sitting there, he's in this prison, he's, he's in chains, um, and he, and he writes it during this imprisonment. Now he was released from that imprisonment later uh, in, after the two years. But then later on he was back in prison later on in his life. So if you look at uh, what Paul talks about in this epistle. Uh, there's sort of three sections that we can break this out into. But the theme, you know, the theme verse I suppose would be you know, Philippians 4 and verse 4. I already mentioned this. It says in Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. So there's a lot of emphasis on being joyful in the Lord, which is quite interesting given that Paul was in captivity, he was in prison, and uh, you know, even there he had the spirit of rejoicing. And Paul always had that. He says, you know, we are hard-pressed but not beaten down. And, and he constantly goes back to this theme that no matter what circumstance he's in, he's content in that circumstance. We have much to learn from that. So, uh, you know, if you look in chapter 2, Philippians 2 verse 17 and 18. Uh, he says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So he was rejoicing even though he was being poured out as a drink offering uh, on, on, and a sacrifice. So uh, we see here Paul is a joyful apostle, uh, a joyful believer, a joyful follower of Christ. And he's trying to spread some of this joy to his fellow believers here in, in Philippi. So in chapter 1, you know, we're going to talk about the, the introduction here, first 11 verses. And then in 12 to 26, he talks about his situation uh, in Rome as a prisoner. And then from chapter 1, verse 27 through 4, 9, he gives various exhortations and warnings. So he talks about being in one spirit, being of one mind, about unity, about humility, about shining as lights in the world, uh, about our heavenly citizenship, and, and we look at that as we go through the study. And then in chapter 4, verse 10 through 19, he talks about thanksgiving for the generosity of the Philippians. The Philippian church was known for many things. One of them was that they were a very generous church. They gave to the needs of... Uh, of the work of the ministry of the servants of God and this is something they were known for and Paul commends them repeatedly for this and he devotes a whole section of the epistle commending them for this aspect of their uh, of their service to the Lord so let's come back to chapter 1 and just work our way through the first 11 verses today uh, we have three 
parts to this section here. First is the salutation. Second is Paul giving thanks for the Philippians. And third, uh, you know, that's from verses 3 to 8. And then from 9 to 11, he says a prayer uh, for, for the Philippian believers. And we have much that we can learn from this. So Paul starts off this epistle with a salutation that says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the and deacons, or with the overseers and deacons. So Paul here refers to himself and Timothy, who is his companion, uh, as bond servants of Jesus Christ. The word bond servant there means doulos, is the Greek word. It has a connotation of ownership or possession or allegiance, dependence, subjection, loyalty. It speaks of willing servitude. It speaks of being a slave for life. Now the word slave has a lot of negative connotations in our culture. When we think of slavery, we think of it as a bad thing. But you know, you got to go back to uh, Exodus chapter 21. I'm not going to turn there, but there it talks uh, an interesting aspect of slavery as it was regulated uh, by God you know, among the children of Israel. So you had the slaves. They were kept slaves. That was part of the culture at that time. But God gave a lot of conditions and regulations around how uh, the children of Israel were to treat slaves. And there was this thing called the year of Jubilee. You know, if you, um, you know, I really encourage all of you to go and read the Old Testament. Now, when I talk to many of you, you know, I'll just go off on a tangent a little bit here. You know, many of you have never read the Old Testament. Okay, if you really want to understand God, you have to read the Old Testament. Okay, because, you know, that is where he really reveals himself in the way he interacts with the children of Israel in the laws that he gives in the, in, to understand the things that really grieves God. We've got to go back and really study that. And in there, there's this interesting uh, concept of the year of Jubilee where, you know, people uh, would, would sort of do a, a reset or a refresh. And one of the things that they did is that you had to, if you were a slave owner, you had to release all your slaves. Okay, in that 50th year, you had to release all your slaves and they were free to go. And, uh, but, there was a situation where if a slave uh, loved his master so much because his master was a good master, treated him well, took care of him, he would, could willingly choose to remain with that master. And if he made that decision, it was a one-time decision, then he was to stay with that master for life. And they did something very interesting. What they would do is he would take him and his earlobe, he would, he would put the earlobe against the, 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 the doorpost and they would take an awl and make a hole in the ear. Sounds very painful, I'm sure it was. But that was a mark uh, that that slave had willingly uh, agreed, you know, and chosen rather, not agreed, but chosen to be a servant, a bond servant to his master for the rest of his life. So this is the kind of bond servanthood that Paul is talking about here. And he says that he and Timothy addresses themselves as bond servants of Jesus Christ, that they belong to Jesus Christ. The focus of a bond servant is always on his master. And, you, and he always evaluates his service in the light of what the master wants. And that, and you know, we are no different or ought to be no different than Paul. Just as Paul and Timothy were bond servants of Jesus Christ, we too ought to be living as bond servants of, of, of Christ. We have come willingly. We have accepted his lordship over our life. And if we have accepted the, his lordship over our life, we ought to function as bond servants, those who, have, who are under the subjection, who are loyal, who are willingly serving uh, this master of ours. And we need to evaluate our service in the light uh, of the, the word of God. And yet when we look at our lives, we find, you know, are we really functioning as bond servants? Does our life really show, you know, tell, proclaim that we are bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, in... Uh, in uh, Revelation 3, it talks about the church of Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 14 and 16. And it addresses them as being lukewarm. And, you know, uh, the Lord there speaking to the seven churches, he has something very, um, you know, not, not very encouraging to say to the lukewarm believers there. Revelation 3 and verse uh, 14 to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, 
I will vomit you out of my mouth. What a sad uh, thing for the Lord to say. That he says that you are so disgusting to me that I feel like vomiting you out of my mouth because you are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. He says, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. And the fact is when we look at our own lives, when we look at the lives of many in the church today, we are really in that state of lukewarmness, are we not? You know, we come to church maybe because out of obligation, because we think that's the thing to do, because we don't want people to think ill of us, but not because we have that love for the Lord, not out of the fact that we are his bond servants, not out of the fact that we want to serve him, not out of the fact that we want to serve him by being active in the church and ministering to others and, and doing our part as, as, as uh, exercising our gifts as members of the body of Christ so that we may all grow together, but rather just for show, just for pretense, you know, we want to come, we want to be there, we want to be known as being part of that church so that no one may question, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our salvation or whatever might be the case. But the Lord says that, you know, this kind, of, this kind of life is repulsive to him. You know, you either be hot or you be cold, but don't be lukewarm. And the Lord says that I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what I feel like doing. Paul was a bond servant. Timothy was a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we bond servants of Christ? Do we live as bond servants of Christ? If we look at the things that drive us, the things that animate us, the things that that, 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 that help us, the things that drive the decisions that we make, does it reflect that we are serving Christ rather than man? We are to be born servants of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, that's who we are. We are saints. We were reminded of us that, that this morning, you know, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, we are, how, are we, how do we deal with each other? Do we deal with each other as saints? Do we realize how precious is the standing that we have before God? All of us who are his children are his saints. And then he goes on to say to the saints in Philippi, uh, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers or bishops. Bishops just means overseers and the deacons. So again we see here, just to go on aside a little bit, that, that everywhere we see in scripture we find you know, that there is a plurality of leadership, Even in the church in Philippi, there were bishops or overseers and deacons, multiple people. And, you know, today we, you know, sadly in, in many churches, many denominations, this principle has been violated. Even where they try to, you know, and there are many who are trying to return to it now, but they still have this concept of a senior pastor or a senior elder or whatever, you know, which really does not align with the practice that we see in early scripture and the, the, the teachings in scripture. And I can assure you that while... You know, it has many challenges, yet it is important that we stick to that scriptural pattern here and that we have a plurality of elders. Uh, it makes for, you know, it, it, it really uh, is an important thing. And I know I've experienced being in a plurality and being alone. And uh, it, it certainly wasn't a pleasurable thing to be alone and having to have the weight of those decisions on yourself and not having that godly counsel and working towards godly consensus and praying uh, in prayer uh, being able to come to the to the understand the and discern the will of the Lord in various matters of the church. So Paul salutes them, you know, as saints and and you know when Paul when you look at you know Paul greets all every letter that he writes, you know he um, uh, he he calls them saints. Even when he's writing to the Corinthian church where they were, you know, into all kinds of stuff, all kinds of problems, all kinds of things, you know, that Paul then goes on to very strongly condemn. He still refers to them. As saints. So no matter where we are in our maturity with Christ, in our walk with Christ, we're all saints and we need to treat each other as saints. And that's the important thing we can get out of this. Now Paul had a very special relationship with the Philippian church. As I mentioned, they were his children in the faith. He brought the gospel into the city. They were a source of great joy for him. When you look at the letters that he wrote to the Galatians and the Corinthians, we find a lot of very tough uh, instruction, you know, very uh, a lot of um, uh, reproof there. But in the Philippian, the letters to Philippians is a far more uh, easygoing letter if you want to compare it that way. And and this church, they actively supported Paul in his ministry through gifts on many occasions and in many difficult circumstances. They were always there behind him to support him, and they were an integral part of his ministry, as we'll see here. So, moving on in verses three to nine, Paul. Uh, 
gives thanks for the Philippian believers. Uh, and Paul had a real habit of giving thanks for these believers. In all of his letters, it was a common thing for him. If we go back, let's just look quickly at a few passages in 1 Corinthians um, 1 and verse 4. You know, we read as follows, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 4. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ. We go to Colossians, right after Philippians, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. If we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses uh, 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. So he gives thanks again. We see this again in Second Thessalonians. We see it in Second Timothy. We see it in the book of Philemon. So Paul was constantly giving thanks for these believers and these churches to him he was writing to. And some of these, as I mentioned, they caused great grief for Paul and yet he was always thanking God for them. He was thanking God for the fact that they had come to faith. He was thanking God for the fact that, that, that they were there uh, as a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, one important thing to ask ourselves as we see this is, you know, do we have a habit of being thankful for our fellow believers, for other churches? You know, we need to cultivate such a habit. Thankfulness is, is important. Thankfulness is important to having that joyful Christian life. We need to cultivate a habit of thankfulness. And when we do that, it will produce joy in our lives. And Paul goes on to give thanksgiving for three, for three things here. Um, so, uh, first of all, he gives thanksgiving for the memories of the, that he has of the Philippian believers. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Upon every remembrance. Paul had good memories of these believers. Perhaps going back to the time the salvation of Lydia and her family and the Philippian jailer and then all his other visits. You know, he had good remembrances of them. And, and he says that always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. And he, the way he expressed this thanksgiving was in prayer. Okay, so the lesson we get out of this is that, you know, making requests and intercession on their behalf with joy. That's what Paul did. He was interceding for them. And this was a source of great joy to the Apostle Paul. Paul expresses thankfulness for the Philippian believers by praying for them and interceding for them. And the application we can make here is, you know, how much do we intercede for each other? You know, we have some 160 odd people uh, in this church. You know, the families and singles and children, everybody put together. How much do we intercede for our fellow believers? Paul was always giving thanks in prayer for the believers in all the churches that that he visited, that he planted, and the believers that he came into contact with. How much do we remember our fellow believers? How much do we focus on their goodness rather than the issues and the problems? Paul could have spent a lot of time criticizing them, but even in the midst of giving them godly exhortation, he was giving thanks to God for them in prayer. You know, Do you and I derive joy and satisfaction from interceding for your fellow believers? Our life of prayer is important. You know, Very often our relationships are... Are, are just very superficial. You know, we don't even know what to pray for. You know, we don't even have a systematic way of praying. Uh, yet prayer here is, 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 is given to us as a way uh, of, of giving thanks, that we give thanks for our fellow believers in prayer. You know, uh, what are we doing in the lives of others? You know, Paul had, you know, these remembrances, these wonderful memories of the Philippian believers which prompted him to go and, and give thanks to God. You know, how are we engaging in the life of our fellow believers that when they think of us, they will have these kind of memories that will prompt them to go on their knees before God in thanksgiving for us. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. It was a joyful thing. Paul derived joy by giving thanks in prayer for his fellow believers. Let me ask you, you know, how much time do you spend in prayer every day, every week? How much time do you spend remembering your fellow believers? Do you do it systematically? 
Do you go around and think of people and, and you know, very often we don't even know some of the folks that are here. You know, maybe we've never even talked to them, let alone prayed for them. We don't even know them, you know, can't even associate a name with a face. You know, that's okay, we have a lot of new people coming. But the people that you know, do you spend time earnestly praying for your fellow believers, being thankful for them? Because they are a part of this body into which you have been placed. They are here to edify you. You are here to edify them. And you need to be giving thanks for them. You need to be encouraging them. You need to be upholding them at the throne of grace. Paul constantly gave thanks for the Philippian believers and for all believers. Secondly, he gave thanks for the fellowship that the the Philippian believers had with him. The fellowship that they had with him. So he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 3 and verse 5 he says, I thank my God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's go go to verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all uh, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. So Paul um, was thankful for the Philippian believers for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the very first day, their, their uh, fellowship with him was constant. It was consistent. From the very first day, from the time that Paul uh, you know, uh, ministered to them and planted that church, all the way until now, he says, from the first day until now, for your fellowship in the gospel. Okay, and... Uh, they, they provided for him financially. If you go to Philippians chapter 4, verse um, 15 and 16, he says, uh, verse 15, uh, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent, and once again, for my necessities. Um, we find that they sent Epaphroditus to serve Paul in the gospel work and he did so even to the point of almost dying. Philippians chapter 2 verse 25 I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So Paul was sending Epaphroditus back. My, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier but your, your messenger and the one who ministered to my, to my needs. So not only did they send money but they sent a young brother Epaphroditus to Minister to him physically, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. What they couldn't do physically, they did by sending Epaphroditus. So Paul, their fellowship in the gospel was from the beginning, it was constant, it was consistent, it was practical, uh, it involved financial help, it involved practical help, it involved sending people to minister to him in his difficulties. And then it, in verse 7 it says that they were partakers, that you were both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. So they were partners with Paul in his ministry. Paul was thankful for the Philippian believers because they were an integral part of his ministry and in very practical ways. How do we apply this to ourselves? We need to be part of the ministry of the people that God has raised and give them reason to be thankful for us. We need to be part of the ministry of this church and all the things we do. We have so many opportunities here. Um, You know, uh, are there servants of God out there who have reason to give thanks to God for your participation, for my participation in his or her ministry? Or are we too caught up with ourselves? You see, the, the problem today is that we are so beset by so many things and so many worldly concerns that, that we don't have time to minister to our fellow believers. We don't have time to minister in the church. We don't have time to minister to the servants of God so that they may then have a reason to thank God for us. The Philippian believers, because of their fellowship, gave plenty of reason for Paul to go on his knees and thank God for them because he could feel the impact of their prayers and of their gifts and of their support and of their partnership in his ministry and therefore he could thank God for them. Thanksgiving for the fellowship of our fellow believers. Thirdly, moving on, he gives thanks for the hope of what God is doing in their life. Thanks for the hope of what God is doing in their life. Verse 6, 
he says being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ Paul was confident of the work that God was doing in them and he was thankful for that he was thankful that God was working in the life of these philippian believers to bring them to completion to bring them to maturity that God was completing his work of transformation in them that began the good work that began began he says the the that he who begun he who has begun a good work that good work that God himself began at the time of their redemption the time of their salvation the transformation that comes he's talking here uh, about the sanctification of these believers and this is the work that goes on until the day of Jesus Christ when the Lord himself returns to judge everyone God has begun this work of salvation this work of uh, sanctification in each believer and he is continuing it and he will complete it Paul was confident of that and he was thankful to God that confidence allowed him to be thankful to God for the work that God himself was doing in the life of the philippian believers you know god is doing this same work in the life of every believer are we aware of this are we thankful for this do we pray for it do we pray you know when we pray often you know our prayers are just very superficial do we pray for the spiritual growth of our fellow believers you know when we don't see outward evidence uh, of of this growth does it concern us do we do something about it do we care enough to do that paul cared about this you know he prayed uh, out of confidence that god who began a good work would complete it in the life of these believers so paul was thankful for these three things he was thankful for the memories that he had the wonderful memories he had of the believers the philippian believers he was thankful for the fellowship of the believers with him in his ministry and he was th- he was thankful for the hope of what god was doing the sure hope of the work that god was doing in their lives and we also ought to be thankful for these same things in in the lives of our fellow believers here and the ultimate result of the thanksgiving is this that uh, verse 8 god is my witness how greatly i long for you all with the affection of jesus christ how greatly i long for you all with the affection of jesus christ that you know because of paul's constant thanksgiving and intercession it led to a longing and a godly affection the affection of jesus christ for the philippian believers do we have such feelings for our fellow believers do we long to be with them you know we had a picnic the other day we had such a wonderful time i i, I assume everybody there enjoyed being with each other and yet there were many who were not there i'm sure many had good reasons but nevertheless sometimes it's because you know we don't really treasure our fellow believers we don't have that longing to be with them you know as as believers in christ we ought to have no greater friendships than those we have with the people of god we ought to long for that company we ought to cherish that company we ought to look forward to it we look what look forward and participate in every every opportunity that we have to be together with the people of god and yet how many of us come only on a sunday morning and then we leave soon after the meeting is over we don't know anybody we don't talk to anybody we don't share our needs with anybody we don't have that longing it is just something we do out of obligation but paul here says god is my witness how greatly i long for you all with the affection of jesus christ do we have such feelings for our fellow believers do we long to be with them do we enjoy their company if not maybe it's because we are not being thankful for them if not it's because we are not a part of their lives maybe we don't even know them well enough the ultimate result of thanksgiving is that we will have that longing and you know later on paul talks about humility and love and unity and that's where he is leading up to in this passage is working towards that that in order to have unity in the church we need to have love for each other we need to have this godly affection for each other we ought to we ought to uh, have the desire to be with each other and to enjoy each other's company if we don't have that that means we don't have love for each other that means we will not be united that means we will have all kinds of problems and divisions and dis, uh, di, uh, uh, dissonance and all kinds of problems in the church and that's what paul is working towards here and then moving on he closes out this section with a prayer and we'll quickly look look uh, look at this so he he gives a prayer for the philippians at this i pray and he goes on to pray and when we look at this prayer you know paul has several of these prayers um in uh, in scripture uh if you look in you know ephesians colossians everywhere he says a prayer for them and these are very instructive to us in terms of how to pray okay that's not quite what i'm lo- going to look at today but when we look at it one thing we find is that you know he ne- he never prays for 
physical and material needs but rather for spiritual needs you know go back to giving thanks for the believers praying for the believers you know how much time do you spend you know yes we have prayer requests we put up for health needs and and all these kind of things nothing nothing wrong with that but um, you know we should pray for those things but nevertheless you know it's more important that we pray for the spiritual needs of our fellow believers and look at what paul prays for here there's four things he prays for one is he says that i pray that your love may abound that they may abound in love for one another the people of god when we look at the context we understand he's talking here about love between believers within the believers and there's several verses i'm running out of time so i'm not going to look at it but first john 3 14 and 15 says that this is a mark of a believer that he has love for his brethren uh, john 13 35 by this shall all men know because you have love for one another by this may all know that you are my disciples it is a mark of believer of a believer that we have love for each other uh, and it's a love by choice it's the agape love the sacrificial love a love of action 1 Corinthians 13 47 talks about all those active verbs that make up love it is not emotional love it is not love just coming out of the mouth uh, in words and he says that i want you to have uh, that your love may abound still more and more a growing love when you look among believers today maybe even in our church there are fractures there are frictions uh, that's not what god desires what god wants is abounding genuine love that's what paul is praying paul you know is praying in the will of the lord he's praying according to the will of the lord here that that these people may abound more and more in their love for each other god wants among us abounding genuine love between his children do you have this kind of love for all your fellow believers secondly he says that you may abound that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge okay secondly that their love may he prays that their love may be based on knowledge it should be rooted in the word of god it should be regulated by the word of god uh, there's an interesting passage in ephesians 5 where he talks about uh, ephesians chapter 5 verses uh, Yeah so verse let's read from verse 1 be imitators of god as dear children walk in love as christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to god for a sweet smelling aroma okay so uh, the paul here is commanding them to walk in love that we should have just as christ has loved us and then immediately he goes on to say but fornication all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be even be named among you as fitting for saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but uh, rather giving of thanks now it's interesting that soon after he talks about loving he starts going into saying you know you should not have fornication uncleanness and coarse talking and all these kind of things and i think the reason he does that is because you know when we have this kind of love it is to be a holy and a pure love it is not a love that uh, that involves these kind of behaviors you know behaviors such as covetousness and filthiness and foolish talking and coarse jesting we have to know and study the word of god our love for our fellow believers should be grounded in the word of god it should be based on the word of god very often our friendships are just very casual you know when we get together sometimes you know we're just getting together with a bunch of believers but the things we talk about and the the way we interact and the the things we say they're no different than the world as we we joke with the same sort of language that other people do and talk about the same kind of filthy things sometimes that other people in the world do but he's saying that our love for our fellow believers must be abound not only abound but it should be rooted in knowledge it should be rooted in the word of god it must be based on on knowledge thirdly the love must be based on discernment based on discernment that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment okay that means we must approve the things that are excellent let's turn to hebrews chapter 5 how do you gain discernment Hebrews 5 and verse 14 But solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil okay how do you discern between good and evil between what is acceptable and uh, or what is good and better and best by uh, by 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 eating the solid food of the word of god and by reason of use okay by experience by exercising these things by applying the word of god in our life you know and getting those experiences we 
we get more discernment in our lives. And so our love should be rooted in discernment. He's talking not just about distinguishing between good and evil. That's usually easy to do. You know, very rarely will we find ourselves, you know, involving in evil or getting involved in evil. But rather, it is distinguishing even beyond that between what is better and best. Point out the things that believers are doing which are wrong. You know, our love ought to be not just sort of an emotional kind of thing where we ignore their, what is going on in their lives and we are not willing to correct them, but we should do it with knowledge. We should do it with discernment. We should, we should push them towards maturity in Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. A very familiar passage. It says, Therefore, brethren, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is what we ought to do. We ought to hold ourselves to a higher standard. You know, we ought to not just be satisfied with what is acceptable and, and what, is, what is good or what is right, but rather what is good, what is even, even better in our relationships, in the things we do, in the things we engage in, in the things we read, in the things we watch in the places that we go to, in the kind of interactions that we have, in the people that we associate with, in the habits that we have. It's a very sad thing that today, even in the church, we have people who, you know, you, all of these connect together, you know, who are lukewarm towards Christ. They come here out of obligation. They're not interested what their life is like. The moment they walk out of this door, they're involved in all kinds of things, even immorality that the Apostle Paul here refers to. And he goes on to say, Be sincere. Coming back to First uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, that, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Again, this is in the context of loving our fellow believers here, right? That our relationships, our love may be genuine, that we may be genuine with each other. How genuine are we with each other? Do we just show love in words out of obligation or do we genuinely love our believer, our fellow believers? And then he says that we are to be without offense. What does that mean? I believe the, that it's talking about not, not causing offense or not being a stumbling block to our fellow believers. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9 to 12, it talks about um, you know, that we have freedom. I'm not going to look at that uh, passage right now, but I don't have time. But uh, he basically says that, you know, uh, that we are to not use our liberty to become a stumbling block for our fellow brothers. Be without offense towards your fellow brother. Don't engage in things that might cause your brother to stumble. That's not genuine love. That's not sincere love. You know, so often we engage in things because we want to show our own freedom, because we want to show that it is okay to do it, that I am justified in doing it, and we go to scriptures, and yet on the other hand, we are causing, putting a stumbling block in the path of our fellow believer. Think about what things we might be doing that's causing the weaker brothers and sisters to stumble. Their love may be based on knowledge, it may be based on discernment. Finally, that they may abound, Paul prayed that they may abound in the fruits of righteousness. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Their lives may produce godly fruit in changed lives. Do you pray for godly fruit in your own life, in the life of your fellow believers? Do you encourage them towards godly fruit? Do you tell them, brother, I'm praying that you may, or sister, I'm praying for you that you may bear godly fruit that honors God. The end result that we should all desire, you know, what are our goals in life? How are we measuring success in life? Is it that God is glorified or that we are uplifted? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our ultimate goal is that God should be glorified and praised through our very lives and the lives of our fellow believers. Do we have that attitude of being born servants of Christ? Are we really living as born servants of Christ? Do our lives show that? That if someone looks at the way we live, they'll say, yes, he or she is someone who is in servitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the most important person in his or her life. I can tell that by looking at them. Are we thankful for our fellow believers? Does our relationship with them, our memories lead to genuine thanksgiving and intercession on their behalf? Are we partakers together with our fellow believers in the work of the gospel and in the building up of the church? Are we interceding for our fellow believers? What are we interceding for? What are our prayers for them? Are they material or are they spiritual? 
Are we really interested enough to pray for the spiritual growth? When we see a brother or sister that's falling down, that's not making that progress, do we get on our knees and pray for them earnestly? Do we pray for more abounding love among us, abounding love in our hearts for each other, love based on knowledge and discernment, love that restrains our rights and avoids our weaker brother from stumbling due to our own action or lack of action? Are our lives producing the righteous fruit of the Spirit? Is God being glorified through our lives? I trust the Lord will enable us to examine our own lives in the light of these words. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again, Lord, for your goodness and your mercies towards us. We want to thank you, Father, for the thoughts out of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the church in Philippi and uh, this letter that Paul wrote to them so that we can learn and apply, Lord. We pray, Lord, that that we may each examine our own lives, Lord. Lord, we are on that journey. We know that you have started a good work. We know that you will complete it. And yet, Lord, there are so many hurdles along the way. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to examine ourselves, that you will give us a greater love for each other, that you will help us to live as bond servants of Christ, that you will help us, Lord, to, you know, to love each other with knowledge and discernment and genuineness and sincerity and that we would not put a stump, be a stumbling block to our fellow brother or sister in Christ. Lord, we want to thank you again for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercies to us. Thank you for the remembrance of our Lord this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church that, that is a praying church, a church where every individual is on their knees every day, Lord, praying and remembering the, the fellow saints, the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and bringing them before your throne of grace and that we might experience, Father, the strength that comes from being such a church that seeks your face on behalf of each other. Pray that you will increase our love for each other, Lord, genuine, in genuineness and sincerity. We thank you again, Father. We want to commit the rest of our time today into your hands. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.